Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right, beautiful people, how we doing this morning? All right, all right, good deal. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. Yes, make some noise for the fathers. All right. Good deal, good deal. So check it out real quick. I just want to know, do we have any first-time Father's Day fathers in the house this morning? Anybody? Okay, I know Zay, you're not with us this Sunday, but Zay would be a first-time Father's Day. So shout out to Zay for his first Father's Day. Uh, what about any grandparents? We got any uh, uh, grandfathers in the house tonight? Raise your hand if you're a grandfather. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Any, any great-grandfathers in the house? <laughs> no great-grandfathers? All right. Well, praise God, man. So I'm also a father, and I'll tell you straight up that fathering is probably one of the greatest joys uh, of my life, but it's also one of the greatest challenges of my life. Like, fathering is not, 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 not an easy task. And so I'm not ignorant either because I work at a high school. So even though my kids are younger, I know it don't get much easier. Because working with teenagers, I'd be like, dang, that's what I got to look forward to? It's going to be crazy. So in honor of all our fathers, this is what we're going to do. Our fathers need prayer. So we're going to pray for all the dads in the house right now before we even get into this message. So if you guys can with me, uh, just bow our heads, and we're going to pray a prayer over our fathers. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for being the greatest example that we could ever ask for uh, in a father. We thank you, God, for your compassion. We thank you for your example of love, wisdom, sacrifice, consistency. And God, we pray for every father in this house, every grandfather, every great-grandfather, and every soon-to-be father, God, that you be kind enough to bless us with strength, that you be kind enough to bless us with wisdom, that we be a reflection of you to our wives, to our children, and to the world around us. Thank you, God, for being a great example. May we look to you. May you teach us to behold your ways, God. May you place inside of us, God, a desire to look like you and to honor you and to be an example of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're visiting City Walk and this might be your first time, uh, I am Matt Lynch and I serve here as part of the guest experience team and as part of the teaching team. My wife, she also serves here as a worship team. You just saw her up here. And we have four beautiful children, all ranging from one years old, literally just turned one on the 13th. So, like, what was that, four or five days ago? So, we got a one year old all the way up to six years old. So there are four kids all jammed in there in about five and a half years. Yes, we're crazy, okay? But we're making it through. Uh, but one of my kids this morning, I want to spend some time, I just want to highlight 
one of my kids. Uh, his name is Micah Aldean Lynch. This is the guy right here I want to highlight for a second. So Micah Aldean Lynch, his name means who is like the Lord, a faithful friend. Has nothing to do with the sermon, but usually people have never heard that name Aldean. So this is Micah. He is by far our most energetic in the house. He also has the least self-control in the house. And Micah is also, though, a very sweet boy who also says some really, like, warm and fuzzy stuff sometimes, and it really catches you off guard. Like, he'll just say stuff, and you'll be like, oh, geez, man, my heart. So for an example, uh, he just started preschool this year. He finished his first year of preschool. In the first week of school, the teacher's asking all the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And she gets to Micah. I said, Micah, what do you... What do you want to be when you get older? And, you know, he doesn't give that typical, like, four-year-old response like, oh, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a firefighter. I want to play in the NFL. He looks at his teacher and says, I want to be married. <laughs> and so I don't know if you can see that far, but this, this is the sheet right here. And it literally says, when I grow up, I want to be married. <laughs> and so this is Micah. And I know as a four-year-old, he probably doesn't know much of anything what it takes to be married. But this is what we do know about his response. What we know about Micah's response is that there's something that he sees that is valuable and beautiful about marriage. And it's something that he wants to become. He wants to become a married man. right? It's something that he sees in other people's marriages. He's like, you know what? I want that. And so as a father, that gets me excited because I believe, and we're going to talk about this today, that we become what we behold. I believe that. And so that word behold is a word that means to observe closely or to value something or to set your sights upon. Like we become what we behold. What you value, what you set your sights on, what is important to you, what you place in front of you becomes the things that shape us, mold us, and really are what help us be who we are. So the things that we behold are important. They end up dictating our decisions. They end up dictating the direction that we go in life. And I'm willing to bet that whether you're here in person or you're watching online, you'd probably be like, you know what? Uh, I agree with that. Most of us would agree with that statement. Like who I am today and who you are today and the things that we do are closely a reflection to the things that we behold. They're a close reflection of the things that we value, the things that we pursue, and the things that we place in front of us. Like who I am today closely reflects the things that I really value in my heart. We know that. And whether that's consciously or subconsciously, we end up becoming the things that we value. We end up becoming the things that we behold. I think we all agree with that statement. So if you, example, if you were like a, somebody who was aspiring to be an elite athlete, that was something that you value. Obviously, I always use sports analogies because I'm a coach. You're probably going to look at when you work out, how you work out, when you recover, what you eat, all of those are going to be filters for your decisions because it's going to be based on what you believe is going to make you be an elite athlete, right? 
So you behold those things and you say, okay, I need to filter out my decisions because it's going to be important for what I want to become. And the same thing is us as husbands and wives and as parents, if we value family time and we want a household that has nice, close-knit relationships, you're likely to look at your calendar and intentionally play some times for some family trips, maybe some games at Uno. We play Uno in our house all the time, and I'd be killing the kids. I'm no mercy, Dad, okay? You will not beat me in Uno unless you really got skill, because I'm here, draw four, and another one, okay? But you, you create all those family times because you know it's important because I want to become a dad who fosters quality time and close-knit relationships. And some of you guys are the same way. So you would look at your calendar and you'd say, we need some family time. We need some family time. And you intentionally do those things because we would all agree that we become what we behold. What is important to us, what is valuable to us are the things that will end up shaping us. And the same thing is true spiritually, right? Like, let's not sugarcoat this at all. If we behold Jesus as valuable and beautiful and worth getting to know and pursuing him with our heart, if we really believe that, then our decisions will be filtered, I believe, by these two questions. Is this helping me grow my relationship with God? Like, if we really value our relationship with Jesus, then when it comes to making decisions, we will nine times out of ten ask ourselves, is this helping me grow my relationship with Jesus? That becomes a filter. If we want to become like Jesus, if we want to behold him, if we truly believe that it's valuable to be intimate with him, if we believe it's valuable to be in a close relationship with him, then this becomes a question that we ask frequently. Is this going to help? me grow my relationship with God, this relationship, this friendship, this pursuit I have, this desire in my heart, the things that I want to start pursuing, do we ask ourselves, hey, is this going to help me grow my relationship with God? That is a great filter for us to make decisions through. And the second one, hey, does this even align with scripture? (laughs) Like, that should be a question that we ask ourselves. Like, does this even align with Scripture? Because opportunities come every single day. We can engage in this. We can engage in that. I could pursue this. I can pursue that. And if we're not asking ourselves, does this align with Scripture, we're going to find ourselves drifting and we're going to find ourselves beholding things that aren't Christ and we're going to be far from looking like him. You guys with me on that? Can we say amen? And so some of you might be thinking this morning, bruh, I don't even know if I'm actually a follower of Jesus, Matt. I'm kind of in here because somebody invited me, somebody made me come, um, and I don't even know if I really care that much about what Scripture says about my life, right? And, and, and look, that, that's real, and that's honest, and that's where I was. I remember being at a point in my life where I was coming to church, and I was just like, you know what? I'm in the building, but I'm not in the building. I'm in the building, but I am thinking about what I'm eating after church, what's going on next. And the scriptures didn't have any weight into my decisions, and that's okay. Here's what I mean. It's not, well, this is what I mean when I say it's okay. I'm glad that you're in here this morning. If that's you or you're listening online, because I believe that as we go through this text, I believe as we talk about this statement of we becoming what we behold, 
that God is going to speak something to you that will possibly get you to at least consider beholding Jesus for who he is. I do believe that. And if you do consider yourself a believer in here today, and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, as we progress through the text today, what I want to challenge you and ask you to do and encourage you to do is to take a step back and ask yourself honestly and genuinely if what you are beholding and what you are pursuing and what your desires are moving you towards indeed align with who God is asking us to be. That's where we're at this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. Everybody's like, bro, I'm about to leave. This is getting too heavy already. Right? But check it out, man. As we've been reading through the book of 1 John this summer, so if you're just joining us today, every summer at City Walk, we choose one book of the Bible to go through as the entire summer. So you guys might remember last summer, um, was it Nehemiah? Or we just did, yeah, it was Nehemiah. So last summer we did Nehemiah and this, or James. Okay, we did Nehemiah sometime in the fall. It's all right. But every summer we choose a book of the Bible and we study it in depth as a church. And I don't know about you, but as I've been studying 1 John, this joint is heavy. It's, there's some challenging scriptures, some challenging statements in the book of 1 John. And John, as a person, we've been learning, he's very black and white. John don't believe in gray. He don't even know what gray is. He's like, bro, you either pursue Jesus or you pursue the world. You either love God or you don't. You either know him or you don't. And John is very black and white. So I feel like God is asking me to steward this text in a way where we leave today with no gray area. No gray area at all. Because the text is challenging, but it's real. And one of John's goals when writing 1 John, this letter that we're about to get into, was to encourage the people to behold Jesus for who he is and not lose sight of what a true relationship with God looks like. Not lose sight of what it really means to be in relationship with the God who created the universe, a God who loves you, the God who shaped you in your mother's womb. Don't lose focus on what it means to follow him. And he tells them straight up, it's Jesus or it's the world. Which one are you really beholding? Who will you behold? And so during this time, a little bit of background on the text. During this time when John's writing this, uh, there were people that were spreading some false teachings, right? And so that's kind of where, uh, where he's coming from with this too, is that he, he, he realizes that there's people out there that are giving bad teaching about who Jesus is, and they're spreading these false teachings. And John realizes that even some of the believers are starting to get drawn away into these false teachings, and they're going from beholding Jesus accurately to now beholding other things that don't align with God, and consequently, it shipwrecks their faith. So John is writing this really to protect them. So it's very black and white, and it's very hard, but John's like, I want to write this to protect you guys so you don't drift. I'm writing this letter to protect you guys as a warning to make sure you don't lose sight on your relationship with Jesus. And so let's hop on the text. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he starts out like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So let's break this down real quick. 
do not love the world. So what he's not saying is don't love the trees, don't love the ocean, don't love the mountains, right? And some of you guys are probably thinking like, duh, that's obvious. But hey, let's just, you know, maybe you thought he was talking about the physical world, right? But he's talking about the system, the ideas, the values, the pursuits that people have in the world. He's saying, don't latch on to the love of the world. Don't latch on to the things that the world and the people of the world are pursuing as valuable. Don't latch on to those. Those ways, those behaviors, those beliefs that are contrary to God's way. Don't latch on to those. See, God has laid out for us a value system that aligns with his heart and it aligns with his will. And God's value system is good. God's value system is perfect. And God's value system is profitable. And the world's value system, the things that the world pursues, that they try to get us to latch on to, is almost always contrary to God's value system. And so you might be thinking like, okay, but what does that look like? It's a valid question. Like what, what does it look like to not love the world? Like John said, but what does that look like? How do you flesh that out? Loving the world would be uh, beholding material possessions, um, putting major emphasis on success, uh, putting major emphasis on pleasures and what makes you feel good versus your relationship with God. Loving the world is beholding those mindsets, those actions, and those pursuits that just don't line up with the Bible. And I know this is tough stuff because here's, here's what I believe is really tough about this. If you don't behold what your friends behold, if you don't behold what your coworkers behold, if you don't behold what your family members behold, guess what? You become different. You don't look like everybody around you. You don't talk like everybody around you. You don't go the places everybody around you goes. You don't pursue the things around you. Everybody else and I think, I, I think that that's probably the biggest hurdle that we go through in following Jesus is the willingness to be different. I think one of the hardest things and the, one of the biggest challenges that we go through is walking away from the fear of what people say about us. Because most of the time, we'll know what's right in our heart. We'll know what we're supposed to pursue. We'll know what we're supposed to do. And then we look at everybody around us, and it's hard to maintain focus on what Jesus has called us to behold and who he's called us to become because we know it's going to make us different. And I remember walking through that. I remember challenging that. And even to this day, there's still moments where it's like, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do, and this is going to make me so much different than everybody around me. Give me the courage, give me the boldness to do what I'm supposed to do and to be who I'm supposed to be. Because, God, I want to become like you. And if I want to become like you, if I want to look like you, if I want my kids to have an example of what it looks like to fear God, I got to go through this whether the people around me understand or not. And so John is writing this to give people that emphasis. Behold God and don't be afraid of being different. Hold on to what's true. And John's clear as day. He says, hey, ain't no way that you can behold the things the world is beholding and still have God's love flowing through you. Like, he, he says it. He's like, 
look, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't even in him. Holy smokes, like if my heart begins to drift towards the things of the world, guess what? The love of Christ begins to diminish. The intimacy begins to diminish. I can't pursue the things of the world and consequently also pursue God and have his presence in me. It's this or it's that. And John is very black or white. Where is your heart going towards, Matt? Where is your heart going towards? What is your pursuit? Because the more you pursue the world, the less of the Father is going to be poured in you. But Matt, if you behold him as beautiful, as worth the pursuit, as worth waking up in the morning and getting on your knees and saying thank you and getting in your word and worshiping him, if you behold him as that, Matt, the love of the Father will continue to be poured in and poured out and poured in and poured out. And so John gives us even more specifics. Like I said, John doesn't want anyone confused. John cares. Picture this as somebody who really, really cares about someone else. And John's writing this letter like, this is not just to correct you guys. This is because I love you so much. I want you guys to stay on the path. And so John says, I'm going to give you even more detail on what I'm talking about. So in verse 16, he says this, for the love of the world or for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So let's take a minute and let's look at how opposite the world's value system is versus God's value system. Okay, so based off of what John just said, let's break those things down. He talks about the lust of the flesh, okay? The lust of the flesh are like the physical desires, the pleasures, the sexual immorality, the gluttony, the drunkenness. Those are the lusts of the flesh that John is talking about. Do not pursue those things. Do not latch on to those things. Do not let those things become above importance of your relationship with God. And then he says the lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes are the desires to possess material things um, that aren't necessary. You know what I mean? And, and these things are a little bit more hidden in your heart like those lusts of the flesh you can tell when somebody is making some decisions that are all about themselves and seeking pleasure but these ones the lust of the eye that becomes more between you and God latching on to those material things like pursuing certain um appearances. Oh, I got I to gotta get these nice clothes so that way people will have this perception of me. I got to make sure I got the nice car and the nice house so that way people's perception of me is different. It's be pursuing these things for the approval of the world, right? That, that's what I mean, the lust of the eyes. And it, those things in and of itself aren't bad, but it's the heart and the motive of why you latch on to those things. And John is saying, hey, don't let the lust of the eyes deceive you. Don't start pursuing cars and pursuing wealth and pursuing success above your relationship with God because that ain't going to last. And the last thing he says is the pride in your possessions, boasting and finding self-worth in your identity and confidence in the things that we've obtained rather than a relationship with God. Okay, this might offend somebody, but I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. I don't care how many degrees you got. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. But it means nothing 
about you being a better person than the people you walk by every single day. You can have as much education as you want. God loves everybody the same. You are no more important, no more valuable than anybody else. And this is talking coming from a guy who is educated, okay? But I know that my education, my master's degree does not make me a better person. All it did was open up doors for me to be where God wanted me to be. That's all it did. It means nothing about me making a better person. So when we start pursuing these things above our relationship with God, putting more importance on them, that's what John's talking about. Don't let your heart gravitate to being just so educated that you feel like you're above people. No. Don't have any pride in your possessions. Be humble. And so let's talk about God's value systems. Those are kind of the value systems that the world would say. John kind of fleshed that out for us. And then we're going to look at what God's value system is like. So some of you guys might be familiar with the Beatitudes, the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus broke down what his kingdom is like. And this is what he says. Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What Jesus is saying when his teachings here is those who pursue purity have the ability to see and experience God's presence in their life. Those who have a high value of a pure heart They will be able to see God right now, experience God's power right now, all the way into eternity. Those who value and behold a pure heart. And before you think, bro, I'm good. I got a pure heart. I ain't done nothing nasty in a long, long time, man. I'm good. Okay? It's deeper than that. John's not talking about, okay, don't have sex before marriage. Don't watch pornography. No, he's not talking about that. How are you about telling the truth? You hide stuff. You have secrets. You be out there lying just to be lying. What's your integrity look like? Biblically, a pure heart is way deeper than what we as the world have explained a pure heart to be. Pure heart in Jesus' mind is aligning with the word of God. That's what a pure heart is. It's how much am I trying to align my heart with the things of God. That's what he's saying. If a pure heart, alignment, if alignment with Jesus is important to me, I'm going to see God and I'm going to experience God. That's what Jesus wants us to value. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus gives us another beatitude. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I just read the other version. I got too many Bible versions in my head. Uh, Blessed are the pure in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so when Jesus is saying this, he says, those who recognize their desperate need to be intimate with God will experience God's power. So I grew up in church, and I used to read this, blessed the poor in spirit. I literally thought it meant like, okay, so I'm supposed to not have money. I'm supposed to be poor because then the kingdom of heaven is mine and just set all kinds of bad understanding and theology. But it's not talking anything monetarily. What Jesus is saying in this beatitude is when you recognize that your spirit is in desperate need to be connected to the Father, is in desperate need, when you recognize that there is nothing that can fill your spirit, when you recognize that the only source to fulfill your spirit, you are desperate, you need God as much as you need water. You need God just as much as you need food. You need God just as much as you need oxygen. When you get to that place where you know your spirit needs God, kingdom of heaven is yours. 
power of God is in your life. The movement of God is with you. The intimacy with God is with you. That's what Jesus asks us to value. And then a third one, thinking about God's value system. Jesus gives us another one in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the humble, in Matthew 5, 5, for they will inherit the earth. See, with humility, it puts us in position to receive God's blessing and to know that God will take care of us. Multiple scriptures, God says that he opposes the proud. Not just like, ah, you're a little prideful. Uh, No, it says that he opposes it. He actually opposes the pride and says he exalts the humble. So when Jesus is saying this in Matthew 5, 5, he said, hey, those who are humble, they're going to experience God's blessing and they're going to be taken well care of. That's what it means when it says that they will inherit the earth. God will take care of the humble. And let me tell you this. Humble, humility, is not thinking less of yourself. It's not like, oh, Matt, you're a good football player. No, I'm not, bro. I'm terrible. I ain't good at football. Dude, you had like 12 touchdowns in one game. That's, that, that's not what he's saying. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's humility. Humility is when you walk into a room and you're not like, okay, how can I impress everybody? How can I get people's attention on me? Humility is walk in the room and say, how can I connect with somebody, bless somebody, walk with somebody, and help somebody be a better person? Humility is thinking of yourself less. What am I doing for the people around me? What am I doing to build somebody else up? How am I serving on my job? How am I serving in my family? How am I being a good friend? That kind of humility is what Jesus is looking for. And what does he say? They will inherit the earth. God will take care of the humble. And so the world, its value systems, its beliefs, its behaviors, we can tell just by comparing those two things. The world tries to get us to focus on ourself. The world tries to get us to focus on what feels good. How do I feel this craving physically? How do I get these selfish appetites fulfilled? That's what the world is telling us to focus on. What's going to make you happy? What's going to make you feel full? What's going to make you smile? Just pursue those things. YOLO, you only live once. Do that. Right? And Jesus is saying, nah, that stuff is temporary, bro. You can get that car, and it don't gonna break down. How many of you guys hate car problems? I got two hoopties right now going through it, bruh. I gotta take them joints to the shop this week. Cars are gonna come and go. Houses are gonna come and go. House is just a big bill in my eyes. I'm like, brother, the bigger the house, the bigger the bill, man. We're gonna live in a shack, bruh. Hey, y'all, hey, my kids are gonna be sharing a room until they move out. You got the girls in this room, the boys in this room. Don't ever ask for your own room. You are sharing that room until you graduate. All right. My wife is like, don't be so ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. All right. But God encourages us to hold on to what is eternal. Jesus wants us to hold on to the things that will last and the things that are eternal. And so as we move into this text, before we read verse 18, I want to preface it with this. So there's a word in verse 18 that throws people off a lot, especially in this letter, John's about to describe something that is opposed to God, that draws us away from God. And he's talking about there's a spiritual force at work 
We can't see it because we live in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, there is a force at work trying to deceive me and trying to deceive you and pull you away from the Lord, and that's the Antichrist. And so as soon as you say Antichrist, people are thinking like 666, oh gosh, Mark of the Beast, all this. And John's writing, he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. So in some of the uh, prophecies that are written, there is Coming a day where the Bible talks about somebody who's going to be the uh, physical presence of the Antichrist. But in John's letter right now, he's talking about there is a movement in the spiritual realm that is connected to the Antichrist. So let's hop in there. I just wanted to give you that before we got in the text. That way there wasn't any confusion. So verse 18, he says this. Children, it is the last hour. And you're probably thinking, hold on. Didn't he write this 2,000 years ago? Last hour? It's been a lot of hours since John wrote this, but the reason why he uses that idea and that phrase of last hour is because we don't know when the end comes, but he's saying we should live as if it is now. There should be a level of preparation taking place for the time when you come to see God, whether it means you pass away and you see him in heaven or whether that means he comes back like the scripture says. But there should be an urgency in your heart, in your life daily that says, I need to prepare myself to meet my father. There should be a level of preparation. So when he says, children, it's the last hour, it's not just a phrase. He's saying, hey, wake up. We don't know when the end is. Prepare yourself. He says, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour, that they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. So again, John is saying, hey, focus on preparing yourself for Jesus. See, 2,000 years ago, there were people in the gathering that John was part of that lacked an understanding of the gospel. They lacked the understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. And they left the gathering, and they actually tried to get other people to go with them. And John is saying, hey, don't latch on to false teachings. There are people who are latching on to false teachings, and they want to drive you with them. And that's what John is saying. And I remember when I was younger, guys, I'm going to tell you a story real quick. You know, I always tell on myself when I preach. And I think that's why, only, I think that's why some of you guys come. Because you're like, Matt, you know, Coach Matt always be telling on himself when he preaches. Uh, let's go find out some dirt. But I always tell myself, I like to put myself in the text. So when I was in high school and I was a teenager, um, if you would have asked me if I was a follower of Jesus, I would have said yes. 100%. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you would have asked me if I had sex before marriage, I would have said yes, 100%. If you would have asked me if I smoked some marijuana, some Mary Jane, hung out with Jack Daniels, I would have said yes, 100%. If you would have asked me if God really cared about holiness, I'd be like, nah, not really. Yet, at the same time, I was a proclaiming follower of Jesus. And so I had a friend uh, named Alicia and it was the summer going into senior year. She went to a camp with her church. And God totally changed her life. She met God for real, for real, for real. And Alicia and I, we, we used to just drink together. And like, we, like, we were like partying. We were good friends. And Alicia came back and was like, bruh, Matt, 
not drinking no more, not doing that more on the mat. Like, you need to start honoring God. It's like, whoa, slow your roll. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. Nah, Matt, there's so much more that the scriptures say that you don't understand. And so for me at 17 years old, because I went to church, because my dad was a pastor, I had this false understanding that God's forgiveness and grace was this like indispensable, I can live how I want and do how I want. And there's a difference between pursuing sin habitually and being okay with it and struggling with sin and seeking for God to help you get free from it. There's two different scenarios. I was on this side. I love my sin. I love the physical pleasures. I love seeking those things. What did we just read in the first verse? The love of God ain't in that. Love of God ain't in that. And that's what my friend Alicia was trying to say. Matt, I don't think you know God, bruh. Alicia, you know how many Sundays I went to church this year? 52. You know how many Sundays are in the year, Alicia? 52. I think me and God is cool, right? But Alicia started to challenge me. And uh, when we graduated high school, she went to Bible college in Rome. And to this day, she is, well, obviously it's God first, but she is the reason why I'm a follower of Jesus. Because she spent her whole first semester at Bible college fasting and praying for me. Fasting and praying for me. And then the end of my freshman year of college, I had an encounter with God that changed my life. At 19 years old, I came to a place where God encountered me and I said, I cannot deny the power and the presence of God in my life. I need to get myself right. I need to align myself with these scriptures before it's too late. And I remember calling Alicia, yo, God is real. Duh, fool. Remember when I was telling you that last year in school? Of course he's real, right? And I just, had to, I just came to this place where I just became so thankful that somebody challenged me with what the truth said because had she not challenged me with what the word said I may have always been like man ain't nothing wrong with this and just continued to pursue that way but she planted a seed that had me challenge maybe I don't know him and then she fasted and she prayed and she fasted and prayed and so John was really trying to warn the church about people like me I was influenced by the spirit of the antichrist I was somebody who thought I knew God had bad understanding, and tried to bring people with me. And that's what John's writing. John's saying, there's people out there, there's people out there that don't know the truth. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on the word. Keep your eyes focused on your intimacy, because if you don't, those people that don't know God, they're going to be like this. Bro, you ain't got to worry about that, bro. Holiness, what? Optional. (laughs) Reading your Bible, what? Optional. Come this way. What? What? You actually pray, Psh, optional, only when I'm in trouble, <laughs> right? And John is saying, hey, keep yourself aligned. Keep yourself focused. Make sure you're beholding Jesus for who he is and not getting caught up in false teaching. John is warning us, even to this day, because that still exists. And so along my journey, something that has helped me out, that I believe it will help you guys out too, is this simple phrase. Intimacy is greater than attendance. Here's what I mean. Intimacy is spending one-on-one quality time with God, reading his word, delighting yourself in it, making sure that prayer is an ongoing, 
um, consistent part of your life, worshiping God through song, singing, to, singing praises to him, and learning how to respond to the Holy Spirit. That last one is big. Intimacy is spending quality time with God, reading his word, being in prayer, being in worship, and learning how to respond to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to keep us intimate with the Father. So when the Holy Spirit is doing something in our heart, trying to get us to let go of something, trying to get us to align, what he's doing is he's trying to bring us closer to the Father. And a lot of times, because we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity, it ain't going to be comfortable. Because some of us, like, like me, like when I, when I had to let go of habits, them joints took some time, y'all. Because I had invested years of sinful bad habits. But here's the thing. When God moved on my heart, I couldn't deny what was wrong and what was right. I just had to learn how to allow God to reshape my desires, reshape my focus. And guess what? He did that. Because that's what a good father does. He walks with us patiently. He didn't get a a whip and say, change now, Matt. Change now. Guess what? I just started to behold him for who he was. God, you are good. God, you've been so patient with me. Why haven't I been focusing on you? Why haven't I been reading my Bible? Why haven't I been giving time to the one who created me, to the one who loves me, to the one who has perfect plans for my life? Why haven't I been beholding you? And as I begin to behold him and spend time with him and pray and worship, he did all the work. I just had to learn how to respond to the spirit. And so beholding Jesus... And becoming intimately acquainted with him, that's where the power is. When we behold Jesus and become intimately acquainted with him. Attendance is when we just check the box, like I did. Alicia, 52 Sundays out the year, I'm in church. I'm good. When my attendance was a bigger priority than my intimacy, My heart drifted to the things of the world. But when intimacy became my focus, things started to change. And I tell this to people all the time, man, and some people be like, bro, don't be telling people that. No, that's not good. That's not good teaching. But here's what I mean. Don't hear me for what I'm saying. It's better for you to spend time with God every single day than worrying about coming to church every single Sunday. It is more profitable for you to make a consistent, disciplined life with reading your scriptures every single day than just telling yourself, I got to make sure I'm in church. I got to make sure I'm in church. I got to make sure I'm in church. And here's why I say that. If you spend time with God on a daily basis and you delight yourself in being intimate with him, you'll want to come to church. It won't be like, I got to make sure I'm at church. I got to make sure I'm at church. You'll be like, I can't wait to get to church. Because now you're coming to be more intimate and acquainted and to help others be intimate and acquainted with him. And now you're coming to worship. You're coming to express all the things that he's poured into your life throughout that week. 
So Sunday morning becomes an expression of what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday were as you were learning in the scriptures. You come on Sunday to celebrate, not to check a box. This becomes a place of celebration on Sunday mornings, not a place of, whew, got my attendance in. On to the next. So intimacy has to be greater than our attendance. And so let's hop back in the text. In verse 20, John continues and he says this. But you have an anointing. And that word anointing, a little Christianese for you, it just basically means that the Spirit of God is living inside of you. So John's writing to the people and says, hey, the Spirit of God is inside of you. You have the anointing from the Holy One. All of you who know the truth. And so John knew that the evidence that God was at work inside of them, the way he can say that they had the anointing is because he can see the maturation of their faith. So he knew that God was at work with him. He knew that they had the anointing because their lives were starting to change. If there's no change in your life, then God might not be at work in your heart or else you're just suppressing the move of his spirit in your heart. See, when your life starts to change, that's evidence that you're responding to the anointing and God's presence inside of your heart. And so John knew, hey, The anointing is at work. You guys have the anointing because you're maturing in your faith. You're looking more like Jesus. And then in verse 21, he says, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that the father uh, denies the father and the son? No one who denies the son has the father. He who confesses the son has the father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. What you have heard from the beginning, let it remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself has made to us, eternal life. John is saying, you know the truth. So continue to behold the truth. And here's the truth. Jesus was born of a virgin walked on this earth, did miracles before people's eyes, was crucified on the cross by God's plan and God's design to bring us into relationship with the God who created everything. And that Jesus, after he crucified, was resurrected from the grave, and over 500 people saw his resurrected body. History even agrees. Behold that. That's what John is saying. Don't lose sight. Some people will try to tell you, oh, Jesus was just a good person. He's just another good person on this earth. No, 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 no. He's more than a good person. Behold him for who he is. And so let's close out this, uh, this scriptures. In verse 26, John hops back in. He says, I have written these things to you concerning those that are trying to deceive you. People are going to try to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him, it remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things. And it is true. It is not a lie. Just as he has taught you, remain in him. So we talked about a minute ago, the anointing just means that the presence of God is living inside you. And John is saying, if you trust that voice of God in your heart, you're going to be all right. If you trust with the Holy Spirit, if you don't suppress the move of God, if you don't ignore his voice, if you don't harden your heart, if you don't turn this way, if you trust the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God's uh, design is to bring you back into relationship and fellowship and intimacy with God. So if you're sensitive to that, you're going to be all right. Just don't harden your heart. And the last little portion of the scripture, 
John says this. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right is born of God. Hey, there is confidence in intimacy with God. If there's a lack of confidence in your relationship with God and what he's called you to do, there's probably a lack of intimacy with God. But intimacy breeds confidence. And John is saying, one day you're going to meet Jesus. And you want that day to be a day of confidence. I've behold, I've beheld you for your beauty every day. I woke up every day and said, I'm going to prepare myself for my Father. I woke up every day and said, I'm going to delight myself in the law of the Lord. I will not depart from it. And when that day comes, you will appear before him with confidence. That's what John is saying. But if you start to behold other things and that intimacy dwindles, it might not be a confident day when that day comes. And so it brings us back to what we've been talking about. We become what we behold. If we behold Jesus as Savior, if we behold Jesus as valuable, if we behold Jesus as worth getting to know, as worth the pursuit, then we will recalibrate. If we really think that he's worth our time, we'll recalibrate when we fall off and start to drift. We'll make adjustments. We'll humble ourselves and say, God, you know what? Let me realign. We'll confess our sin when we need to. We'll do whatever is necessary to be intimate with him and to remain intimacy with him if we believe that he's valuable in that way. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we have a constant pursuit of being intimate with him. This is what John is saying. If you behold the values of the world, if you behold the mindsets of the world, don't be surprised when you drift because the love of God is not in that. Behold him for who he is. So an obvious question that we need to ask ourselves regularly and ask ourselves honestly, do I behold Jesus in his teachings? Do, do I behold Jesus as valuable, as beautiful, as worth pursuing? And do I view his teachings that way as well? And this question might be something that we need God to help us evaluate. See, King David is described as a man who is after God's heart. And in one of his psalms, he writes this in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is anything or any offense, offensive way in me. Lead me into the everlasting way. David's desire was to be aligned with God. It was important to him. And so remember, John is writing this letter because he knew that we as believers would be tempted to drift and stop focusing on Jesus and focusing on other worlds. And I think that this prayer that uh, King David wrote is something that we all should pray. Search me, God. Don't let me drift, God. Search me and make sure my heart stays aligned. Holy Spirit, do your job and keep bringing me into fellowship and intimacy with the Lord. And here's what I've learned in my own life. 
when I go through a season where I'm not intimate with the Lord and I start to drift, it happens subtly. It's just small little things, one by one by one. Oh, I ain't got time to read my Bible. Oh, I ain't got time. Oh, I'm not down to go. Oh, I'm not, oh. Small little subtle excuses. And then it starts building. Next thing you know, I've gone a week, two weeks, three weeks. I don't even know how to find my way through the Bible no more. I'm like, Genesis, uh, Revelation, uh, right? Because I've just started to let my heart drift to other things. And intimacy loses its importance. And now I'm finding myself drowning. How did I get here? Dag. But it happens subtly. And so, instead of drifting and going through those seasons of, oh, I'm really, really hot with God right now, and then I'm really, really cold. Oh, I'm up on top of the mountain, I'm loving God, and then I'm finding myself down here. Instead of that kind of back and forth and back and forth, John is saying, bruh, just don't love the world. Don't let your heart drift. Guard your heart. Prepare for Jesus' coming. Behold Jesus every day. That's what John is saying. Who else has died for your sins? Who else resurrected from the grave? Who else is bringing you back to the Father? Behold Jesus for who he is. John is warning us in saying that. And even 2,000 years later, to this day, the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts doing his job, making sure that we continue to behold him for who he is. So again, the question that we need to ask ourselves, do you behold Jesus and his teachings? If you've been around City Walk, even for a short amount of time, you've heard us talk about our mission statement here as a church, and we really believe this. Our mission statement here as a church is we want to walk with people into a growing relationship with God. That's why I said, if, you, if you're in here and you don't claim to be a follower of Jesus, that's fine. We want you in this place, but please know our heart and our goal, we want to walk with you into a growing relationship with Jesus because we believe that God doesn't want any of us to stay the same. If you've been walking with Jesus for 15 years, praise God, we want to walk with you into deeper intimacy. If you haven't been to church in your life and this is your first time here, praise God that you're in the building. We want to walk with you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Keep coming back. Keep leaning in. That is our mission statement and our leadership team. We really, really grab hold of that. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, you're in a house of people who want to see you grow in God, who will be patient with you, who will do their best to imitate the love and the grace of the Father and help you walk into a growing relationship with God. And if you're in this place and you're like, you know what, bro, I need that. I'm going to be real right now. I need that. I need some people walking with me in a growing relationship with God because my circle of friends right now, if I'm going to be honest, I'm hanging out with Boo Boo the Fool and Ray Ray, and they not helping me out. Like, if that's you, then just have an honest moment, man. I really want to encourage you. Our next term of city groups starts July 9th. You need to hop into a gathering of people who are going to walk with you in a growing relationship. Sunday morning is cool. Man, nothing like sitting in a circle. Sitting in a circle with 10 people, talking about the struggles of life. But on the other side of just talking about the struggles, talking about how God is helping us in the struggles. 
Because here's one thing I know about my life. The more I hang around people who behold Jesus, the more I get encouraged to continue to behold Jesus for myself. And if I alienate myself from the gathering of people who are beholding Jesus, the more that I begin to drift. And so I encourage you in this place. You can join a city group or you can find your own personal group, but we need people in our life who behold Jesus and will encourage us to continue to do the same. And again, maybe you're in here and you're like, you know what? I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus, man. That was some good stuff that you said, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I just applaud you again. I, I mean that with all sincerity. Because in 2023, right, there's so many people that don't trust the church. So many people that have been hurt by the church. And that hurts my heart and it hurts God's heart, but it's real. It's people that don't want to go to church no more. The church has put a bad taste in people's heart. So if you're in here, I just praise God that you had the courage to even show up if you're not a follower of Jesus. And I encourage you to keep leaning in, to maybe evaluate if beholding Jesus is is potentially worth it. It's the last thing I want to do. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, and maybe you want to a relationship with him, and you want that to start today, it's this simple. You can pray this prayer. One, the first step is just admitting that you've been beholding the wrong thing. Admit to God that your pursuits and your desires have been contrary to his heart and his will. And just say, God, I admit that I'm wrong. I admit, God, that I've sinned. I admit, God, I've been pursuing the wrong thing. And the second thing is just believe the gospel. Say, God, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on the cross for my sins to bring me into a relationship with you. I believe that. And the third thing is to just choose. Choose to behold him. Choose to follow him. Choose to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your heart and respond. I love you guys. Amen.